pretty excited about this today. As we transition, give me the first slide here. We are. This, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be a good day. I am quite excited about everything 4th of July. My son has on his American Crocs today, so it's for real. I was going to wear them myself. This idea, something came to me, and I'll tell you in a moment so I don't get out of line, but there was a song in the early 90s written by LL Cool J. It began this way. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. Don't call it a comeback. That's what I was thinking in my head, okay? And so this song, it may come up once or twice as we speak today. In Psalm 33, 12, it says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Don't call it a comeback in a way like when we talk about church, when we talk about wanting revival, it's almost in this way like we want God to be revived. God was never out of the equation. And so I'm praying, God, help me to see you in the way that I need to see you. It's funny when you are in school that there are some subjects that you hate. When you get to be an adult, you understand that you actually use some of those subjects. Examples would be this, algebra. When I was young and heard I was going to be taking algebra, I panicked. A lot of things you do in everyday life have to do with algebra. Geometry. I actually use geometry in everyday life. It's amazing. I tell my kids this all the time when they're belly aching about things. Another thing that I hated, history. Did any of you hate history? Names, dates, places, it made no sense as a kid. It made my head hurt. I had a conversation <clears throat> last week with Michael Blanc, and he said something profound. He said, it's amazing to think that America is just over 240 years old. That is like three 80-year-olds, he said. And I was like, wow, whoa. That kind of blew my mind for a minute, because I know how to do math, but when you scale it up in that way, it hasn't been that long that this nation has been around when you think of the history of nations. There are those who would argue that this great nation was founded on deist principles, a deist, one who acknowledges the spiritual. But when you look into the words that were spoken by the framers and the founders of this country, you see that it was definitely based on Christian principles. George Washington, you might have heard of him. This is from his personal prayer book. O eternal and everlasting God, direct my thoughts, words, and work. Wash away my sins with the immaculate blood of the Lamb. Purge my heart by the Holy Spirit. Daily frame me more and more in the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ, that living in your fear and dying in your favor, I may in your appointed time obtain the resurrection of the justified unto eternal life. Bless, O Lord, the whole race of mankind, and let the world be filled with the knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. About a hundred years ago, there was something that took place. It was called the Welsh Revival. What that was, it was one church service in Europe that turned into another and another and another. And before long, churches in Europe were being filled as a result of the outpouring that started right there. At this point in history, Europe is known as a post-Christian society. 
in London, there are more mosques than there are churches. The Islamic faith on Friday has more people showing up for Friday prayer than a nation which was a Christian nation 100 years ago has people showing up to church. I don't say that to fault any religion. I say when you have an identity is one thing, and then at some point you begin to lose that identity, what's going on? What's going on? The U.S. Capitol. Congress. Oh, Congress. I mean Congress. They voted in 1782 this resolution. The Congress of the United States recommends and approves the Holy Bible for use in all schools. Before the Civil War, 90% of all America's college presidents were preachers of the gospel. Patrick Henry, who had those famous words, and we know these famous words, right? We're all down for that. He said, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, the good news that Jesus came to save you. That Jesus came here when he didn't have to and shed his blood so that you may have a relationship with him. He's waiting in on that one. John Quincy Adams, he would later become the sixth president of the United States, he said in 1821 this about the Declaration. From the time of the Declaration of Independence, the American people were bound by the laws of God and the laws of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which they all acknowledge as the root of their conduct. We all came together to obey the word of God. He was also the chairman of the American Bible Society. Now, here's the thing. As an American, when we say that word freedom, we think utter independence. Independence especially from things I don't like. Here's what's weird. I don't seek to be independent. I seek to be dependent on God in the things that matter. God establishes this covenant with Abraham. In Genesis 12, God grants Abraham a promise, a promise of generations, a promise of land. The covenant would be for his offspring, both those born naturally and those that are grafted in or adopted into that family. So Abraham, he leaves everything behind, going to a place he'd never heard of, a place he'd never seen a brochure about, and then something happens as he's out there as this covenant this promise all those years ago it applies to me it applies to me as a child of God how amazing is this that God who would show up to this guy in the desert would look down through time and he would say when that one's grafted in the promise will endure and you think about Abraham Someone is in a place where they feel like every part of your life just points to how alone you are, how you're not going the direction you think you should be, all the loss you've experienced. You think about when God shows up, and even with this, he's out in the middle of nowhere, and all he has are the stars to look up at. And what God does is God takes whatever the setting is, and he points out blessing in it. Oh, you see those stars? That's not to show you you're alone out here. 
and all you've left, what it's to say is start counting. Oh, the land you're going to go to, you have a heart that dreams of a land that flows with milk and honey. You're standing on sand. Start counting the grains. That's how the blessings are going to be because that is who God is. Abraham, as his offspring are born, they learn something. If we obey God, we live in blessing. The land is so much better when we walk in obedience. Because when we walk in disobedience, even in a land of promise, then we have consequence. And no one likes that. And when covenant is broken, it's not God who breaks it. I want my time in this land to be one of blessing. I want my children's time in this land to be one of blessing. On his deathbed, Patrick Henry said this as his will and testament was being written out. This is all the inheritance I give to my dear family. I give them the religion of Christ. It will give them an inheritance which will make them rich indeed. Found it. If we truly believe the words of Romans 13, that the salvation that is in here, the salvation of being face-to-face with Jesus is closer than when we first believed, then it is time for us to go beyond just looking at the storm. This idea of the storm. Anne Graham Lotz said this. Give me that storm one. She said shortly after 9-11, for years we've been telling God to get out of our schools, get out of our government, get out of our lives. I believe that he has calmly backed out. How can we expect God to give us his blessing and his protection if we demand that he leave us alone? Here's where I'm getting aggravated. I respect the law of this land. I respect those in authority over us. But I can promise you this, that no word spoken by any man in a position of authority will overrule the words spoken to me by Jesus Christ. That, that being said, you are not a passenger on this ride. You are not simply sitting back and receiving what's being thrown at you. It's time for God's people to stop remaining silent. It's time to understand these words. Woodrow Wilson says this, a nation which does not remember what it was yesterday does not know what it is today. A Christian who does not remember who they were yesterday will not know who they are today. It's time to be who we were always called to be. We were called from darkness into his glorious light. It's time for us not to have a comeback, but to just have a realization of who we really are. We walk in covenant as people. We walk in that covenant. I walk as a son of the living God, and the words that I say come through his authority. Great change happens when it starts here on a personal level. You think about this. That revolution which gave us independence, somebody got sick of it. Somebody got tired of it. Somebody's like, hey, Norm, you know what? I'm tired of paying tax on this. Because they don't represent us. And then someone like Norm would go home and think of, like, you know what? I'm aggravated about that too. That is how spiritually things need to start. And not just we sit around and gripe about things, but saying, what can we do to help solve this problem? 
Not sitting around speaking about all the things we hate, but seeing the God's solution in it and to begin to speak that. I want the awareness of the darkness around me to be a springboard to push me into new places in Jesus. Revelation 3, 2, Jesus speaking to the church in Sardis. These words begin it, wake up, wake up. And I believe that that unchanging word of God is just as relevant today. And then it goes on to say, strengthen what remains and is about to die. It is not a comeback, it is a destiny. It's time to begin exercising your royal dominion over this earth as God's representative. It's time to have kingdom dominion in your walk, in your homes, in your marriages, in your neighborhoods, in your jobs. It is time to begin to change on that level. Because you can sit around and say, well, this party doesn't represent me or that doesn't do. You know what? Get up and get ready to go in the morning for Jesus Christ. I do not get up in the morning and call my local representative and say, what kind of Christian should I be today? I don't do it. Here's your call. How have you been commissioned? The words of Jesus in Luke 4.18, the spirit of the Lord is upon you because he has anointed you to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent you to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. But God, I don't know which key to use. But God, check this out. Here's one of my like six key rings for the church. And you know what? When I need to go get something out of a door, you know what I don't do? So many keys, so much trouble. No, I go and I try one. And if it doesn't work, you know what I do? I get the next one and I get the next one because the key's on there. And the same thing spiritually, it's time to know that the key's on the ring. You may not pick it the first time, but to solve some of the problems that are in the world where you need that God touch, just look for another key. Look for another key. Try it again because I promise you it's on there. Revisionist history, that's a big thing too. Revisionist history does not revise the almighty God. We can't be the 10 spies in Numbers 13 who said, oh, the land we explored is one that devours those who live there. No, you know what? It devours those who lay down and die there. And spiritually speaking, I'm not going to lay down and die. The land does not dictate who I am in Jesus Christ. I tell the land what it is in Jesus Christ. That's dominion. People would say, but there's never been a more evil time in America. Oh, it's easy to live angry. It's harder to live in a way that you know who has a solution. Romans 5.20 says this, where sin abounds, grace abounds so much more. So in other words, we can see the problem or we can see the grace. We can see how big the problems are or we can see the grace that is bigger than those problems because it always is. Freedom isn't free, but neither is grace. Both were given with the expectation that they won't sit around and collect dust. You could ask the soldier or you could ask the savior, and that's true. God's word is clear about his promise. He says this, and a verse that we hear quite often. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, did you notice this? 
It does not say when the elected official. And this is what we want to do. We want to pray for a revival to break out so all the members of Congress call off tomorrow and say, you know what, we're all going to church. That's kind of what Christians are waiting to do. But maybe God's saying, if my people, my people, my people who attend church on Sunday who don't worry about what the leadership's doing right now because they're running toward me, that's when things begin to change. No, does that exempt them? No, it doesn't, but it doesn't leave me waiting for them to change. The burden for the nation doesn't rest on the White House, the State House, or the Courthouse. It rests in the church. It rests on you. It rests on me. Sometimes we just need to remind the devil with a little history lesson. This is President Thomas Jefferson. He was giving an address at Danbury Baptist Church, and he said the First Amendment has created a wall of separation between church and state. But that wall is one directional. It keeps the government from running the church, but it makes sure that Christian, I can't speak, Christian principles will always stay in the government. Again founded on Christian principles. It hasn't been that long ago, and the tide can always be turned. It is not a comeback. Jefferson had this written on the cover of his Bible. I am a Christian, that is to say, a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus. I have little doubt that our whole country will soon be rallied to the unity of our creator, and I hope to the pure doctrine of Jesus Christ also. Daniel Webster said, God grants liberty to those who love it and are always ready to guard and defend it. So here comes the other part. Five verses later in that part where we are challenged to humble ourselves and pray, it says, but if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands that I have given you, then I will uproot Israel from my land that I have given them. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among all the peoples. We have been deputized and we have an obligation. We if you want to see this land change, then here's what I would challenge you to do. Pray specifically for those leaders that need to think with a Jesus mindset. Speak blessing over them. That's a tough one, right? Because we can get in a place and be like, that is a true enemy of God. There were times in the Bible where God's people were under true enemies of God, they could say. And you know what they would do? They would pray. They would pray, and God would show up, and things would change. The Apostle Paul wrote, Become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Those same stars that Abraham was talking about. That's how we are in a dark place. I can give light. I can give light. I may not have chosen where I got stuck in that sky, but I can give light in that place. You have been entrusted to flip the switch to stay the course. Too long, we as Christians have been guilty of the sin of silence. Here's a story. Martin Luther King Jr., he was 26 years old when he was appointed to lead in a church in Montgomery, Alabama. It was a time of turmoil, as we know. He had grown up in an affluent area of Atlanta. He had attended some fine schools. But when he went to Montgomery, everything was about to change because, you see, there was someone in his congregation that had caused an uproar. That person's name was Rosa Parks. She didn't give up her bus seat, and she attended his church. And so he received this phone call 
kind of a welcome phone call. And it said, we're tired of you and the mess you've caused. If you aren't out of town in three days, we're going to kill you and blow up your house. Dr. King looks at his one-year-old child. He thinks it's a moment of decision. Then he asked himself, is this the kind of world that I would want my daughter to grow up in? And he decided to take a stand. Later, he would say these words, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that matter. God, what do you want? What do you want? Now, you can watch, you can read the paper, you can think that all Congress does is yell at each other and fight, and they may, because I don't watch C-SPAN. I don't even watch regular news, so I'm not diving into that deeper level of C-SPAN. But the First Continental Congress, there's always these pictures of guys just about to go fisticuffs. Ben Franklin said this, I've seen a painting of the First Continental Congress. As many of you have heard the story of how they were discussing and debating about how the Declaration should be written, Finally, Ben Franklin stood and said, gentlemen, if it's true that not one single petal from any flower falls to the ground without escaping God's attention, will the distress of this nation go unheeded? Therefore, let us determine to seek his face. At his suggestion, the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence all went to their knees as one man and began to pray and seek the wisdom of God. 53 of those 56 were professed Christians. I'll tell you what, there is coming a time when those that hit their knees aren't even knowing why they're hitting it. But the power of Jesus Christ is in the midst. That's how it began. They didn't sit around and discuss all their differences. They hit their knees as one man. And when that happened, the question was, Almighty God, what do you want for this nation? Almighty God, what do you want for this marriage? Almighty God, what do you want for this role as a parent? What do you want for this church? What do you want for this life group? What do you want for me as the manager of this or as the assistant there? What do you want, God, because I'm ready to bring it. That's how he is. And here's the thing. God may say to you, do something difficult. Moses petitioned Pharaoh for the liberty of the people. Nathan confronted David for his sinful actions. Elijah faced off against King Ahab over idolatry, immorality. Isaiah condemned moral decay. Daniel pronounced David, or judgment on a king. He pronounces judgment. You don't do that. You do that back then, you end up dead. But God's saying, do difficult things. Open your mouth for me. Don't rant anymore, but do those things that matter. I'm going to be closing. The worship team would like to come up. This is my sign. It's time to stand up and live those words. As a Christian, if you believe that abortion is wrong, what do you do about that? Do you rant about politicians who have been elected legally to their offices? Like you just rant about them? Do you do something about it? There are several homes in the area where you can contribute your time, your talent, your treasure for the sake of life. You may say redefining marriage is wrong. What do you do about that? Do we complain 
or do we do things that matter? Why buy extra Chick-fil-A? If you say taking away your religious heritage is wrong, that the courts are doing this, then what do you do? I remember there was a person who lives near the church, and they were running for an office. It was a city office, and we saw them. They were passing out pencils to us at some festival. And I remember, and they're like, can we count on your vote? Like, were you pro-life? Like, what's that have to do with... Or like, because every politician starts somewhere. And we vote our conscience. I say that because there are practical ways that God is urging you that up to this point have just seemed like a hobby, but step in and wade in. It's time. It's time. We're going to pray in a moment. But I read something that said the Liberty Bell was not meant to be put in the church basement, it was meant to hang in the church steeple. It was meant to ring, to proclaim liberty throughout the land to all the inhabitants. 245 years after this nation was founded, it's still a land of we the people. So it's time for us as Christians to be the people. If you'll stand, here's what I'd like to do. Think a second. What do you hate? What things just turn your stomach as a Christian? What would just what? It's often been said that if you're the one to see the problem, you're the one being called to fix the problem. So whatever you pictured in your mind just then when we pray that whole Second Chronicles 714 thing, in humility, ask God, God, if it breaks your heart and you reveal it to me, what do you want me to do? How can I be your hands and feet and act in love? Let's pray. Father, right now we come before you, privileged to live in the greatest nation on the face of this earth. I thank you for the fact that we can meet here without any fear, that no government tells us who we are to serve and not to serve. But in this moment, God, we lift up the very land that we are living in. And Father, I pray that the things that break your heart would be things that break our heart. I pray that where there was once anger over these things, that there would be that brokenness for you. And Abba, Father, let us go forward the way you want us to, in your words, in your love. Reveal to us how we've done it wrong and reveal to us how we can do it right and be there every step of the way. And God, continue to bless this great nation. In your name we pray.